Um, today we are starting our Easter series, simply called This, This is Love, This is Love. Easter is likely, in my opinion, it marks the greatest days in all of human history. And the, the church celebrates it every year. The world celebrates Easter every year, maybe for different reasons. Um, but uh, what a powerful time of year it is to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus. And so, uh, so today, we're going to really, if I were to have a title for my message, it would be that love conquers death. Love conquers death. Um, in 1 John chapter 4, verse 10, it says, This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. This is love. This, this is love. In a world and a culture that celebrates love so much, that seeks love in all places, many times all the wrong places, there is, some, there is, there is something in our nature that loves to be loved. There's something deep within us that longs to be loved. That even those that, that have yet to know of the existence of God will search for love, will search for comfort, will search for security anywhere they can find it. But I would tell you, it is a long, lonely search because nothing will satisfy the, that longing inside of you that was put in there by design so that you would, would, would search long enough, that you would be hungry for it enough that you would discover the love of God. And for those of us that, that have found this love, that you know and I know how transformative it is to your life. And there are people that are hungry and they're thirsty and they're looking for this kind of love. And they're asking the question, what is love? Baby, don't hurt me. You thought it too, didn't you? <laughs> what is love? This is love. Not that we love God as if we have anything to offer him, but that he loved us. And he loved us enough to send his son. In other words, God was willing to give because of love. You know, whenever maybe it's uh, your significant person's uh, birthday or Christmas, you're willing to give because of love. Maybe your time, you're willing to sacrifice in some way. Well, out of God's crazy, crazy love for you, he gave. He gave the most expensive thing he had. It's worth more than money. It's more than all the possessions of the world. He gave his son. And for Jesus to lay down his life for you is an incredible, incredible display of love. This is love. 
that God sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. In other words, in other words, we deserve a death worthy of a criminal. We deserve a death worthy of someone, um, worthy of, we, we deserve a judgment that leads to death. But Jesus, as an atoning sacrifice, means that he now takes the place of us when the death penalty is then given out. That's love. That's love. Have you ever taken the blame for something you didn't do? Have you ever looked out for, for a friend of yours? Um, maybe you're a leader and you know what this means. Many times as a leader, you have to be willing to take the hit to protect somebody else and let everyone blame you because you want to protect. Sometimes, sometimes if you lead in, in the workplace, you might have a team member that made an honest mistake and, and then your boss's boss is really upset about it and, and you take the blame for it. And then you go and you make correction, you do whatever you need to do, because good leaders do. Well, let me tell you about a leader named Jesus. He was willing to take all the sin of the world upon his shoulders in order to make all things new. This is love. Easter is a story of this love. 1 Corinthians 15, 2. It says, by this gospel, you are saved if you, firm, if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you. The next verse says, For what I received, I pass on to you as of first importance. And here we see what the gospel is. It says that Christ died for our sins. Let's go to that next verse on this. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to scripture. So if you ever, if you ever like are wanting a working definition of the gospel, this is it. The gospel is simply these three things. It is the, it is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. That's the gospel. And the word gospel means good news. Why, is, why, why do we say that Good Friday is so good when that's the day that Jesus' hands were pierced, his back was whipped, crown of thorns placed on his head, a spear put through his side, and he breathed his last breath? Why is that so good? Why is that gospel, the death, burial, and then resurrection of Jesus? It's because this is love that one would lay down his life for another, and Jesus laid down his life for all the world and all time. So that's gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. So many times when you hear even Paul write in scripture, if you hear anyone preaching of a different gospel, in other words, you can't change this. The gospel is always about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And so, so really, we have to understand uh, that our, our, our faith is really rooted in Jesus, which is rooted in the resurrection. So the first thing I want you to know is that if there is no resurrection, then there's no salvation. 
And so uh, there are groups of people that would say that Jesus never died and that the resurrection was, was faked. Uh, well, if that's true, then we should just all go home right now. Like, like we, we have no reason of gathering. We have no reason. Uh, I mean, uh, it, this all falls apart if that's true. Um, even Paul says what I'm, I'm saying to you in 1 Corinthians 15, 14. He says, and if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless. And so is our faith. But he, he knew that he knew, and you can know for certain that the resurrection is true. Because if the resurrection isn't true, if there was no resurrection, there is no salvation. Now the ultimate proof that Jesus is God is the resurrection. Uh, because uh, we don't see anybody get to die twice. Or, or, or really, we don't see anybody that, that dies and three days later comes back to life if it were not for the supernatural power of God. And so the resurrection is ultimate proof that Jesus really is the Son of God, that he is deity. He is who he said he is. And I want to, sh- so, so for, 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 for us as followers of believers, or maybe if you're here today and, and you're here because you're on some kind of journey and search for this love, well then it, it's essential for you to know that the resurrection is true. And uh, so, so let's talk about evidence for the resurrection. And the first thing is that there is, there's a great deal of historical evidence about the resurrection of Jesus. There is historical evidence for Jesus' arrest, and, I, and there are sources outside of the Bible that correlate this, this testimony. So there is, there's a lot of, uh, there's, there's historical evidence for his arrest, there's historical evidence for his crucifixion, his death, and his burial. So you can, you can learn a lot about Jesus without the Bible, with historical evidence. So we know that Jesus was a real person that walked on this earth at the time we believe him to have had, and that he, he, he certainly lived the life that he lived. He died the death he died. He was buried the way he was buried. We know this to be true. There is actually, they say, they say that there's more historical evidence that Jesus was who he said he was than there's historical evidence that Julius Caesar ever existed. It doesn't mean Julius Caesar didn't. It just means the evidence for Jesus far outweighs Caesar. So there's historical evidence. Also, evidence for the resurrection, drum roll please, the empty tomb, y'all. <laughs> the empty tomb is, is evidence for the resurrection. You see, um, th- this verse is not on the screen, but in Matthew chapter 28, this is what it says. Listen, it says, when the chief priests uh, had met with the elders and devised the plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money. Let me give you some context, because I realize I need to. Um, when they buried Jesus' body after his death, they put him in a tomb, they rolled a stone over it, and then they put a, a, a guard of soldiers to, to guard and protect that tomb because they were afraid someone would probably try to steal Jesus' body or, or there was just such uh, political and social tension 
over this one man, Jesus, that they put a, a, a bunch of soldiers, I think it's about 16 soldiers, to guard this tomb. And then on that third day, a light shone bright, the stone was rolled away, and Jesus was resurrected, and all of the soldiers just froze and dropped in fear. And so now they have to, they have to like give an account for how they lost the body. Like there's, there's a bunch of you, your Roman soldiers, uh, you, you need to get your story straight. And, uh, because certainly um, we don't want to be killed for this mistake. And so they, they devised the plan. They gave the soldiers, listen to this, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money telling them, you are to say this. <laughs> so here's the story. I want you all to have the same story. And this is what you're to say. His disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. The reason why there was 16 soldiers is because they were in groups of four and they would do shifts. So, ever, so there was always people awake all night long and they would take shifts. So they're almost telling on themselves that we all fell asleep and the disciples came and stole away the body. And what did they have to do to make sure they all could collaborate the same story? They gave them, no, not money, a large sum of money. <laughs> they gave them a large sum of money, why? To have the same story because this is what they said. If this report gets back to the government, um, um, to the governor, uh, we will satisfy him and we'll keep all of you out of trouble for basically losing the body of Jesus. This is something that we call enemy theory. Enemy theory. Because here, here's the deal. If your mom says you're good looking, it might not mean you're good looking. <laughs> if your mama says you're brave, it doesn't mean you're brave. <laughs> but if your enemy says you're brave, you are. If your enemy says you're strong, you're strong. If your enemy says you should be feared, there's a reason. And so for the, the, the enemy of the cause of Christ at this particular time and place, the Roman government and its soldiers, if they have to be paid off to change the story about the empty tomb, then it's true. It's true. They had no reason for why the tomb was empty other than a light, bright light was shown forth, the stone was rolled away, and he walked up out of that grave. So let's pay a large sum of money to protect our side of the story. Why would they do that if it wasn't true? We call this enemy theory. So why do they need to pay off the soldiers? Why fabricate a story? Because the tomb was empty. Also, it's important to note that every gospel, the key witnesses of the empty tomb were women. All ladies say, woo! All the key witnesses were women. When Mary and they, they go down to the tomb, they are the ones that report back to the disciples that the tomb was empty. And every gospel writer included this detail in their account of Jesus. Why is this important? Because in the... <laughs> In the first century, women were legally not allowed to be witnesses. Sorry, girls. 
I agree. Now, was God done redeeming the world at the time? No. Has God continued to redeem? Okay. Take that back a few weeks. So at that time, women were not a legal, uh, sufficient eyewitness account. It had to be a man. But for the gospel writers to include this self-defeating fact that the original witnesses of the empty tomb were women, then it must be true. And it also, then what else are they, they getting right if they're willing to put in uh, potentially harming evidence for who the witnesses were? Because somebody could have read this and said, yeah, but Mary was your witness. That's not a legal witness. So, so the, the, the wit- eyewitnesses of the empty tomb at first were, were women. Um, also that there were over 500 eyewitnesses of what? Of Jesus alive. That Jesus, for 40 days, he began to appear to people, and at one time he appeared before a group of 500 people. 1 Corinthians 15 says this, it's not on the screen. Paul writes, for what I received I pass on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to scriptures. There we hear gospel, death, burial, resurrection. And that, and that he appeared to Cephas, and then he appeared to the twelve, and that he appeared to more than 500 of their brothers and sisters at one time, And most of them, so when Paul's writing this letter to Corinthians, Paul says, and most of them are still living. In other words, Paul is saying, listen, Jesus rose from the dead. He appeared before Jesus. He appeared before the 12. He even appeared before 500 people all at once, and some of them are still alive, so go ask them. They'll tell you. So over 500 eyewitnesses to Jesus being alive. Another great evidence for the resurrection of Jesus is the changed lives of the disciples. I mean, you remember Peter who denied Jesus three times, even to a little girl, he denied Jesus. And then after the resurrection, and after the infilling of the Holy Spirit, we see Peter alive, man. At first, when, after Jesus' death, all the disciples went into hiding. And it says that with the doors locked for fear, Jesus stood among them. Jesus is walking through walls, man. And he appears before them, and Thomas was with them. And Thomas said, whoa, whoa. He says, Thomas, come here. Put your finger in the holes of my hand see that I'm real put your hand in my side where they put the spear it's really me and then Jesus pulls something I think is kind of funny he says give me a snack so they give him some fish maybe some goldfish some of those cheesy goldfish I don't know we can't keep those things in our house the kids eat them so fast and so he takes some fish and he eats it in front of them and I imagine he just kind of steps aside and they see that it didn't fall through. I don't know. But, but it was he ate food in front of them. He's like, see? It's me. It's me. And from that moment, when Je- Jesus' death drove them into hiding out of fear, 
but his resurrection sent them to the streets proclaiming his name. They would go to jail for proclaiming his name. They would be beaten for proclaiming his name. They'd be threatened, do not proclaim the name of Jesus any longer. And then they were like, no thanks, I'd rather die. And some of them did. So the, tr- the changed lives of the disciples is great evidence for the resurrection of Jesus because many of them would end up dying for what they believed in. And would you die for a fake resurrection? I don't think you would. But they were willing to because it really happened. And, you know, and ultimately, an evidence that we continue to see to this day is our transformed lives. I, I know that the resurrection is true because Jesus has transformed my life. And 2,000 years ago, when he came up out of that grave, it led to 2,000 years later, me coming up out of mine. And we continue to see people at New Life Church experience new life in Christ. And people still to this day are coming out of their grave because we all experience a spiritual death. Which is the second thing I want to tell you is that sin brings death. Sin and death in the Bible, those two words are almost interchangeable. Sin and death, death, darkness, decrease. It's, a, it's symbolic of the destructive nature of sin. Sin simply means to miss the mark like an archer shooting at a target when he misses the target or when a golfer misses the green. (laughs) It's a sin. (laughs) To miss the mark. In other words, holiness is to be like the Lord. Anything else is sin. And sin brings death. It is a destructive force in our lives. I have watched sin destroy lives, destroy families, and, the, and an unfortunate uh, consequence of sin is sometimes, many times, the sin of one individual will affect innocent individuals around them. It's a destructive force. It brings death. And Jesus was willing to come and live the perfect, sinless life and then die a death and be raised again to, so that sin no longer wins. But there's victory in his blood. Listen to what James says in chap- James chapter 1. It says, but each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then, after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. You see, we are all born with this innate nature It's called a sinful nature. And that sinful nature within us, it comes with desires. This is why it's so important that at a young age we help our kids control desires. I was talking to a father about this particular subject one time. Um, And and dads, if, if... if you ever feel discouraged about parenting mothers, if you ever feel discouraged about parenting, go find some other good moms and dads and just have some real conversations. I promise you it'll help you. 
I was talking to some, some, uh, some friends of mine that are dads. Uh, one is a dentist, one's a lawyer, and we're sitting there together. And uh, actually, I was really the odd man out. One is a surgeon, one's a lawyer, one's a dentist, and then I'm, I was a pastor, you know. <laughs> and uh, so a lot of smart guys at, the, at this uh, sitting around together in a circle, and we began to talk about helping our kids and their desires. And the lawyer, this sounds like a bad joke, doesn't it? Uh, my lawyer friend, he, he said one, thing's that, one thing he does with his kids at the dinner table, he'll say, kids, tonight we're not going to use salt. We're just going to eat our meal the way it is. And in small ways, teaching his kids how to resist a desire in small ways. And he says, and as we, we do practical things like that, um, it helps resist desire. Uh, one thing Jenny and I do with our boys, uh, we've done this ever since they were little, um, we, when we, whenever we find ourselves at the mall, and that sometimes there's things at the mall that you just really don't want your kids to see, and especially if you have young boys, there's a particular women's store that claims to have secrets it ain't no secret. <laughs> it's in the front window, you know. And so we would, even at a young age, when we're walking through the mall, we would say, hey, boys, let's, let's guard our eyes. And let's look off to the left. So we'd do that. And um, just to learn how to resist desire. Because each person... All of us are included in this. Each person is tempted when they are dragged away by what? The devil? No, 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 no. <laughs> by yourself. <laughs> by your own evil desire and enticed. Then, when we give in to desire, it conceives something in us. And what it conceives, so conception is giving to, into desire. And, and when you give in to desire long enough, it then births sin. So in other words, it may just start, start with, I didn't do it. Yeah, but you're thinking about it. <laughs> you're thinking about it a whole lot. I mean, if you think about donuts long enough, you're going straight to the cafe at New Life Church. took the boys out for pizza last night because Jenny's out of the country right now and I, I, I had two funerals yesterday and I was very tired and I was supposed to make dinner but I figured if Jenny's not even in the country I said boys we going out for pizza <laughs> and of course I put, they put that pizza down in front of us and pizza is not something I typically like to eat much of right now and uh, three four slices later Regrets. I have regrets now. But man, it was just sitting right there talking to me. And so if you sit that thing in front of you long enough, you think about it long enough, you look at it long enough, you have it in your house long enough, you hang around it long enough, eventually it's on your plate. Eventually it's in your mouth. And desire, once conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin is death. 
And sin, when fully grown, gives birth to death. There is a destructive nature and destructive pattern in sin. Sin always brings death. I've watched sin destroy lives, destroy marriages, destroy relationships, destroy life groups, destroy churches. And it's something that Jesus came to eradicate out of our lives. He gave the greatest sacrifice to do it. And of course, it still finds its way of slipping in. So sin, when fully grown, gives birth to death. The origin of sin, sometimes people may ask, well, if God is so good, then in God, if God created everything, then why did God create sin? Have you ever wondered that? If he's so good, so holy, why would he create sin? I would tell you that God did not create sin. He can't. There is nothing evil in him. God is the it is absolutely pure and holy. He cannot create sin. But what God did do was in the in the when God created Adam and Eve, in the middle of the garden, he put two trees. And he put these darn trees right next to each other. One was the tree of knowledge of of good and evil, and one was the tree of life. And he instructed Adam and Eve, you can eat from any tree in the entire garden, but do not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil, because then you will surely die. And of course, the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil are right next to each other. So God did not create evil. You know what he did create? He created choice. Because without, cho- without choice, you're not free. And God created you and me to be free so that he could have relationship with us. It's not a relationship if you have to, but if you can choose to. So in the beginning, God puts a choice in the middle of the garden knowing full well we would choose wrong. So did God create evil? He did not. Did God create sin? He did not. But he, he created freedom and choice. You see, God is light, but the absence of light is darkness. So the, to, to not choose God is, is where sin <coughs> comes into our world. And so there in, in, the, in, the, in the beginning chapters of our Bible... The account of first things in Genesis, uh, we see man, first man created, and he falls. We call this the fall of man. We call this the the original sin when Adam took from the tree of knowledge and good and evil, and he and Eve ate of its fruit. And from that day forward, every human was born with a cancer inside of them called sin. This was because of Adam and Eve. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 21, it says, but each, uh, I'm sorry, for, for since death came through a man, and of course it's talking death came through Adam and Eve's choices in the garden, the resurrection of the dead also, it com- comes also through a man. For as in all die, so in Christ all 
will be made alive. Sin brings death. And Jesus brings everlasting life. So this is the third thing I want you to know is that death, listen, has been defeated. That death has been defeated and death and sin coincide. 1 Corinthians 15, 55. Where, O death, is your victory? In other words, hey, loser. Where, O death, is your sting? Which is like to say, hey, loser. (laughs) I didn't feel it. Didn't hurt. The sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. He gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is love. This is love. Sin stings, doesn't it? But only Jesus can break the cycle of death in our lives. And my prayer is that this Easter... This Easter, somebody is going to come up out of their grave. And they'll look at the thing that has beat them down. They'll look at the thing that has brought death to their life and say, you lose. It doesn't hurt anymore. I have victory. Because one far greater than the sting of death came. His hands were pierced. He hung on the cross. And even then, Death couldn't hold him down because he rose again and he's raising me too. 1 Corinthians 15, 58, we see a special word that you should know by now. It says, therefore. Therefore, in other words, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, there are 57 verses that speak to the implication of the resurrected Christ. 57 verses about because the resurrection is true, because Jesus rose from the dead, therefore, because of all of that, my dear brothers and sisters, listen, let nothing move you. Because of the resurrection of Jesus, do not be moved. Do not be shaken. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Have you been shook up? Have you been shook up? Because of the resurrection of Jesus, because Jesus has conquered death, hell, and the grave, don't be moved. Stay put. You are planted now on a firm foundation the rock on which we stand, Christ Jesus, the rock of the church. And he says, and because you know this, your labor for the Lord is not in vain. In other words, now we have a purpose. So keep going. Because of 57 verses of the implications of the resurrection of Christ, we can not be moved. But sometimes things come into your life and they rock it around a little bit. Sometimes life will knock you around, knock you down. 
crack the foundation. And that's when we return to the cross. This is when we say, Jesus conquered death, hell, and the grave. He rose again. He rose me, and I will not be moved. This financial situation, I will not be moved. These relationships that are, that are, in, that's, that are fighting me, I will not be moved. This anxiety and depression that's coming over me, I will not be moved because of the resurrection of Christ. Death is defeated. In Matthew 16, Jesus asks a question. He says, who do people say that I am? What are you hearing? Well, they replied, well, some say John the Baptist, and others say Elijah. Still others are saying that you're Jeremiah or, or simply maybe one of the prophets. Jesus asked, but what about you? What about you? Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, well, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. So what about you? Who do you say Jesus is? If anything, if you haven't, today, you can make him your Lord. Let's all stand together. In a moment, we're going to sing one last song. I want you to be encouraged today to know that this is love. This is love that has conquered death. In the sting of sin, you can have victory over sin. I'm wondering that if there's someone here today that would say, my life's getting knocked around a little bit, and I need to return to the cross and stand firm again. And maybe, and maybe there's someone here today that, that would say, there's been some death, darkness, and disrepair in my life, and I know it's because of a root of sin in my life. You simply have to just take a moment this morning, right now, and what we call repent, which means that you are going to do a 180 degree turn and you're going to go the other direction and then allow God to transform your mind. So maybe there's been something that's been enticing you. You've been, you feel, you feel like, that's me. I mean, I've been dragged away by my own desires and enticed. Or maybe, yeah, man, that desire has given birth to sin and, and it, is, it is killing me. Then you need a resurrection. You need new life. You just simply need to ask God for forgiveness and repent of that thing and go home and whatever it is, get rid of it. Change some habits. Change some desires. It takes sometimes personal work to say, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to go there. I'm, I'm going to change my, the way I think about this. I'm going to put protection on my computer. I'm going to have somebody hold me accountable. I'm, I'm going to get that thing out of my house, out of my car. I, I am going to change my desires. God help me. So today, with every head bowed, every eye closed, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. God knows who you are. God knows who you are, 
And he knew it a long, long time ago, and it's the reason why he sent his son. Listen, sometimes in a moment like this, when you, you, you realize, man, there's mistakes that I've made, I've had some failures. Listen, it's easy to feel like there's a, there's a, a godfather looking down over you, judging you for, for what you've done. But no, this is love, man. God's looking at you and saying, I sent my son for this very reason, this very purpose, that you would, would receive forgiveness and healing and be free from the death, darkness, and disrepair that's holding you down. So don't feel condemned in the presence of the Lord. He is a good judge, which means he's the one that gets to declare you free. He gets to declare you free. He's not here to condemn. In a moment, we're going to sing one last song, and when we do, this is your moment, just between you and God. And if there is sin in your life, you need to take this moment and repent of that sin before God. You can do it in the quietness of your heart. You need to lay it down. And then today, you need to make some choices about what you're going to do to, to get the desire out of your life and be free. This is love, and love has conquered death. Oh, death, where is your sting? In Jesus' name. Hey, New Life Church, thank you so much for joining us today. If this is your first time joining us and you'd like to learn a little bit more about New Life Church, you can text the word CONNECT to the number 765-347-9127. Again, thank you so much for joining us and we hope to see you guys next time.